Hello and welcome to the latest podcast from The Lancet Infectious Diseases. I'm Richard Lane and it's Friday, October the 5th. Today, TLID publishes a fascinating and important paper concerning public health measures around the H1N1 pandemic in 2009. Specifically, the study looks at public health responses in five countries across the world to compare and contrast how the response was done in these different countries, with implications for the way that global public health measures could be taken if such a pandemic or similar pandemic was repeated. Let's hear from one of the study authors, who is about to introduce herself. I'm Gillian Steele-Fisher. I'm the Assistant Director of the Harvard Opinion Research Program here at the Harvard School of Public Health in Boston, Massachusetts. Dr. Steele-Fisher, many thanks indeed for talking to The Lancet Infectious Diseases. You're one of the authors of a fascinating paper looking at the public response to the 2009 H1N1 outbreak. There have been a lot of studies looking at preparedness plans and the way populations react to flu epidemics, particularly H1N1 in 2009. So what does your paper add to everything else? Well, we hope our study adds insights in in two ways. I think first and and most clearly, it provides information that's truly comparable across countries, and that hasn't been done before. So previous studies have evaluated interesting questions about the public's response in individual countries, but they can't show us what's happening across borders. And that's because the questions are slightly different even when they address the same topics. So, for example, a study in country A talks about purchasing sanitizer gel, and a study in country B talks about using the gel more frequently. But you don't know whether or not those things are the same or different in in the countries because the question is so so slightly different. And in our study, people in each country were asked the same questions so we could see how their responses differ. And as we build a global response to pandemics, I think this is extremely important because global organizations and individual governments they have to be able to develop shared approaches that still appeal to the different publics. And hopefully this kind of study will help maximize the total effect of pandemic policies across borders. So that's kind of the first way. And I think in the second way, uh, our study looks at the relationship between behaviors. And we have a particular focus between vaccination and non-pharmaceutical behaviors, things like hand washing and then social distancing behaviors like avoiding mass gatherings, things like that. This is really important because there's been some concern that if non-pharmaceutical practices are encouraged, that it will dampen public willingness to take a vaccine when it becomes available. But what we see in our data is that in no country, for any behavior, were people who adopted the non-pharmaceutical behavior any less likely to get vaccinated than those who didn't. So this really suggests that behaviors are complementary. And again, this sort of helps us build a a global policy, thinking that uh, pandemic response may benefit from both vaccination and non-pharmaceutical strategies. This is really a lesson for all countries as we build a global response. Tell us about the five countries relevant to this study. Which countries did you use? And would there have been any benefit of extrapolating or extending the number of countries studied? Or do you think this pool of five countries is, is generally representative of a global epidemic? We were able to poll in five countries that included Argentina, Japan, Mexico, the United Kingdom, and the United States. One of the key goals of the study was really to be able to learn about public response to a pandemic under a broader number of circumstances than it existed in just one country. We chose these countries because they all experienced a sizable number of H1N1 cases, but they differ in key ways. I mean, certainly they're from different regions of the world, and so they might be expected to have different cultural interpretations of the illness and the preventive behavior. Their interpretation of uh, government response was different, and the actual policies that government put in place were different, as was the cost and availability of protective materials, things like masks or soap and so forth. 
And then, of course, the illness differed itself. You know, there are a different number of cases over time. Um, they weren't chosen necessarily to be representative, that is, of, of the region they're in. And that's a good thing, I think, because a key lesson from the study is that although we did see some similar trends across countries, each was unique in its response to H1N1. And I feel like the learning is that we will need customized approaches in each country, and there'll be a need to sort of invest in understanding the public's unique needs in each country. And so given that, I can't help but think that it would be beneficial to expand the number of countries in future studies, and I hope that's a possibility. In terms of the behaviors, what were the most and least popular behavior modifications that populations took on board? It's sort of interesting because I think there's some some patterns here that are worth thinking about. I think one thing that was interesting is that the pattern emerged and that was sort of the relative ranking of behaviors, and that was actually similar across countries. And that is like the most and least popular behaviors were shared. Uh, kind of in general terms, people were more likely to adopt personal protective behaviors, things like hand washing, changes in coughing etiquette, and so forth, and less likely to adopt social distancing measures, such as staying away from crowded places. And actually, vaccination would have fallen into that second category as well. And although the study itself can't tell us why, it, it seems reasonable to suggest that some behaviors may be easier or more appealing to people and, and uh, easier to encourage from a public health perspective. So, for example, it may be easier for people to wash their hands than to sort of stay away from public areas. When we think about vaccination, there was considerable effort in all these countries to encourage vaccination among the public. And yet it wasn't a behavior that was widely adopted in any country. And this may be a sign that vaccination faces some key attitudinal barriers in all these countries. And it also may speak to the logistical challenges of vaccine distribution. While individual countries need to respond to pandemics with a country-specific approach, um, there still may be some universal elements that we can build on for a more global strategy. It seems that in all countries, we're going to need a mix of recommended strategies, both non-pharmaceutical and vaccine. Sure, that's interesting. I was going to ask you about that. Were there any universally popular strategies or, or unpopular ones? Putting it another way, were there specific uh, ethnic differences that you know, one has to be aware of, cultural sensitivities when, when considering behaviour change? Well, I think there were some things that were, were sort of universally applied. So, for example, hand-washing was the most appealing and frequently adopted behaviour across all the countries. And what was interesting is that there was sort of a shared pattern in some of the countries. The real differences, though, is really not so much in the ranking of the behaviors, but in, in the actual raw percentage, that is sort of the, the rate of adoption. So when we think about hand-washing, while it was the most popular in every country, we have 90% of people in Mexico and Argentina reporting this behavior, a little more than 70% in Japan and the U.S., and only a little more than half of people in the U.K., you see that you know the relative ranking and yet the absolute values are, are quite different. I think that, that um, creates a, an interesting thing to think about in terms of developing uh, policies. Was the measure in way that countries or populations in countries responded to public health measures, to behaviour change, was it, was it determined by the relative, if you like, strength of the outbreak or potency of the outbreak? In other words, you know, did Mexico uh, as a population respond more strongly than other parts of the world? The explanation for variations is is both interesting and, and complex. And I think our paper gives some insight to this, but I think there's a broader literature that can probably help us dig through these layers as well. There's not the, the sort of kind of linear relationship between either the order of cases or the you know total uh, strength of the outbreak in each country and the behavior adoption. I, I think it's a little bit tricky in part because the outbreak was quick all over the world, you know, to spread to all the different countries. And because sort of measuring the overall severity is tricky and the public's interpretation of it is tricky. What we see is that 
you know, Mexico was the strongest adopter of many of the behaviors we asked about, and it was the first country hit. But it's not fully clear that mortality rate is really sort of the driving factor. There was also a strong government policy response. They were closing of public venues. Masks were made available at no cost in some areas. And this may have really either given people cues about what they should think of the severity, or it may have simply made the, the practices easier and more common to adopt, or it sort of happened to them in a way because the venue closed. So naturally, they were more likely to have not gone to some place. And I think if we think about it, you know, Argentina adopted many of the behaviors at nearly the same rate, but it has a really different flu season. And so I think what this suggests is that the relationship is just more than sort of timing and severity. I think it's more complex related to perceived perception of the illness, perception of the government response, and some of the material elements in terms of the cost and availability. In that way, it's going to be important to keep asking the public what they think and how they're responding, since they're really the key partners in this uh, pandemic response. That was my final question, actually. Public acceptability of measures, public health measures, is crucial because you can't have good public health without engaging with the public whose behaviour you're trying to change. So in that sense, you know, where do we go from here? Are there any straightforward, if you like, universal lessons, or is it really a case of modifying public health to the specific population? And if that is the case, and if public acceptability is the key criterion for effective change, is that going to leave some countries more vulnerable than others, do you think? I completely agree that each country is going to need to tailor their response to engage the public because they really are our, our key partner in a pandemic response. They, they must find the, the behaviours acceptable in order to adopt them. And so we need to find out what is acceptable to them. Even though there was some patterns of variation, I think it's, it would be a mistake to say, oh, well, there's some publics that are just more resistant, 